Hey Nava fam, well I'm Danielle Burgess and if I don't know you, I'm one of the home church leaders in Lee Summit and I'm part of the regional team and consider it such an honor to be with you today as we pursue our invitation into Micah 6.8. I wholeheartedly believe this is an invitation from Jesus to pursue his heart when it comes to racial healing and just all the things we're talking about. And so what an honor to to share just a little bit with you of my journey. I do want to say I very much feel like a work in progress. I do not have all of this figured out. I feel like I've gotten a little bit of yeast over the years and that's being worked into this dough. And if any of you are bakers out there, you know that the kneading process, this can be a painful process. So I share this humbly, but I also want to share that the Lord has just given me some keys over the years when it comes to how to see each other uh, through the Lord's eyes. And one of those keys is what I've been calling the both and. And if you've not heard this term before, the both and is a perspective where two things might seem to oppose one another, this or that, but a both and perspective is you actually hold two truths in your hands. And so the, the key that the Lord's been giving me when it comes to race in America is it's a both and situation. And it means that we can be one in Christ, one family, but we can also celebrate our differences at the same time. And, we, and to pursue life in the vein of Jesus, we do both. And I want to read you a verse that the Lord's put on my heart to show this. It's a verse we've had in our prayer room all week, and it's Galatians 3, 26 through 29. And it says, So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. So I'm humbled today to share my story with you and just how this verse, just like that yeast, is, is making its way into my life. So my story actually starts here in Kansas City. And I was born in Kansas City. St. Joe Hospital, and my parents brought me home to what we've always known in our family is the greenhouse. And the greenhouse was just off Bannister Road, actually down the street from a Muslim school. And I lived there until I was about three years old. Don't really have too many memories, but that is that was home for us until my parents moved us out to the suburbs to Lee Summit. And my whole life, I just knew that we moved out for the good schools. I was not aware growing up that I lived in a very racially homogenous neighborhood that was nowhere on my radar, nor was it really on anybody else's radar. Um, it was home, it was safe, it's all I knew until about the middle of elementary school, there was a classmate who started coming to our school. He actually lived in our neighborhood. His name was Lonnie. And Lonnie and one of my friends from the neighborhood would come over and play in my backyard and they would pretend to be boyfriend and girlfriend. And this made all of the adults around us really uncomfortable. At first, I thought they were really uncomfortable because I was getting to the age where we were pretending to be boyfriend and girlfriend, you know, that's kind of awkward. But actually, when I started realizing more, they were uncomfortable because Lonnie was black and my friend was white. And as I began to put these pieces together, I began to have a lot of questions. And that's when I started asking, what, why is this not okay? Or, or why does everyone seem uncomfortable? And that is when some of the conversations about race 
came up in my life. And I'm probably not the only one. I don't know if, if you guys can relate to this, but in my family, that's when some of the family stories came out. And so we would have conversations about race and I would hear often something like, we're not, you know, we're not racist. Like we're not, we're not racist against Lonnie. We're just uncomfortable with this. And then the reason that we weren't racist is because of what used to happen in the family. And so that's when stories about how grandmas and aunts and uncles would act in the 60s. For example, we have this hush-hush family story about how my beloved grandma had two black workers at her house one day, years ago, like decades ago. And after they left, they had had a drink of water. After they left, she threw the glasses away. And that was a normal, that when I learned that story, it was just normal as if my family was kind of telling me, you know, these were the times back then. And, you know, while that wasn't right, things are different today. But because of that story, you know, that was racism. We're not racist. We're uncomfortable with Lonnie and your friend, but that's not racist. And it, it just became very confusing. And I found myself trying to navigate this, this story where it's okay in some situation, it's not okay, all people are equal, I'm learning this at church, we're a Christian family, I'm, I'm learning all these things about humanity and how God made people, but at the same time, I'm seeing in my world just systems where that doesn't necessarily feel like the case. Now, I've always been an observer, a watcher, I'm a writer, so I'm a curious person by nature. And so as I grew up, I would watch. Um, I just observe systems and what, what's happening. And I began to feel the, the tension of the reality of my world. So for example, in Kansas City, now we have power and light and people go down there without thinking twice. When I was a kid, you did not go down to Kansas City before that was built. And you did not go down to Kansas City because it was it was obvious the people on the news with mugshots lived around there and that was dangerous. And that was the the messaging that I was getting as as a kid. If we would leave the city limits of the suburbs, we were being risky. And and so even some of those rules played into my years as a teenager where I knew I should probably not not leave town and was not encouraged to leave town when I started driving. Now, there were a few exceptions along the way trying to show me some different sides of this, uh, telling me different messages, so to say. Uh, one that I can think of would be my grandma. So I did have a grandma who lived um, outside of the suburbs, and she would take me into the city, and we would serve at Operation Breakthrough. And I wasn't aware of skin color at the time. I was still pretty young, but I was understanding um, that the city's not always necessarily unsafe. I also remember uh, some of you guys who maybe are around the same age as me, you know, I grew up with reading Rainbow and I grew up with TGIF and Family Matters and Hang with Mr. Cooper. And, you know, some of those things were part of my childhood and showed me you know, black men in leadership and black families. And those families were doing some of the very same things that we were doing. They just happened to be on TV. Um, but it, it felt very normal, you know, despite our, our white flight, which is now kind of the word for what my family went, went, went through, um, 
despite that my my parents were intentional about inviting some friends from work over and they were people of color and so we would sit around the table and so all of these things were giving me messages um, at youth camp one year my mostly white youth group leaders invited a, a pastor who opened up my my very first summer camp of my whole life he opened up the night and he was a black man and i have never been the same after that message i met god in a, a whole new way so there were all of these things in my life that i've retraced where did this come from and where have i learned and i, I grew up here and i was born here and then all these things have happened in life. What have I, what have I learned? Like what makes up my story? But even despite the shows and the influences, the system that I kept growing up in really was telling me something different. And not only was it telling me something different, I began to accept it for myself and accept the belief and the stereotypes that came with it when we would drive past our old house. So occasionally we would be in the city and we'd make a point as a family, pull up in our sedan and we'd go drive past the old greenhouse. And for 10, 15, 20 years, we did that. And over the years we'd pull up and the house needed a fresh coat of paint. And the, we the weeds were just running through the yard. There were broken down cars everywhere. And not only that greenhouse had turned um, into a place that needed a lot of work, but the whole neighborhood had. And I found myself, we would pull up and without any words needed within the car, I would be thinking, man, it, it is a good thing we moved out of here. And I began to internalize that for myself. I'm not proud of what I would think and feel when we drive past the greenhouse. And it would actually take years before I would even start putting the pieces together and and learning the history of why that neighborhood was was being run down the way it was. And to be honest with you, the reason that I even started to question what I was thinking, to question my family's journey, is I became um, a minority group. Now, I'm not talking about race. Don't hear me that say that. But uh, I was diagnosed in high school with cancer. And I'm a teenager, and all of a sudden this teenage lived experience that I was expecting, um, I can't live like my other friends. And being a teenager going through illness opened my eyes to what it, what it feels like to not be in the majority anymore, what it feels like to be on the outside. And a lot of times our places of pain give us amazing ability to empathize with others who might feel that way. And it, when I started to to wrestle with this change in my life and this new lens really that cancer gave me at a really young age, I was 17, I found that not only did this lens apply to things such as health and sickness and wellness, but it started to apply to things like race. And I started to see and hear the pain of people who also felt like they were not in a majority group. They, they couldn't be part of something. And I started to ask some questions and. And some of those seeds that God had put in my heart when I was younger, that I did question what I was seeing and feeling like this doesn't feel right, that started to come back. Now, I went into college shortly after that. And in college, I had what I call my light bulb moment. It was a defining moment in my life along my journey of racial healing. And it came with a, an instructor in my class called Race, Class, and Gender. 
she began teaching us a side of slavery that I'd never heard. And it was a side about uh, slaveholders and how they treated women. And a lot of those women ended up having biracial babies. And all of a sudden, I started putting the pieces together and she was putting them together in class where there's biracial babies and, and they went on to have families. And so this is the foundation, the bedrock of our country. And if that's the case, though, that means that a lot of us are kin, we're family. And, and something about that moment where this happened to be an African-American instructor and she's teaching our class the history of slavery and that a lot of us who have descendants in America are actually blood related in some way. That's a high possibility. It just... I walked out of that classroom and I've never been the same. And all of a sudden it wasn't white history, it wasn't black history, it was family history. And I thought, I have got to learn this. And this is this is a responsibility. Um, that moment changed a lot for me and it changed so much that when it came time to build our family, I carried that with me into adoption planning. Now, because of cancer, my husband, Mike, and I, we always knew that adoption was our route to, to parenthood. And God had put it in my heart to have a mixed race family. When I envisioned what it would look like, you know, when you do the paperwork, you just, you, you dream. And, and I just, I couldn't picture all of us looking alike. And I felt like God was calling us to have a family that conveyed the truth of, of our, our humanity story here in our country. Now, when we started going through the adoption process, it was interesting because, you know, on one hand, here, here we are, two white parents, and we're telling our social workers we would like to, you know, we're requesting a, a baby, put us first in line if the baby happens to be African-American or mixed or, or anything. We, we want that. And with that kind of volunteering comes nuances. And so we, they made sure we knew, hey, you need to do some learning. There's some education. There's going to be differences in how you grew up, you know, things like hair. That's a really big deal. Had to learn a lot about hair, had to learn about family dynamics, had to learn about different cultures and, and different things to celebrate. And so with that adoption process came lots of learning, um, lots of humility, um, but also at the same time, the same people who are teaching us about the differences we're going to be facing also were teaching us, hey, here's what adoption means. And it goes hand in hand with scripture. And so our adoption meant we are becoming 100% family with a child that's not biologically ours. And we are swearing to a judge that this child will be treated no differently from anyone else in our family. Equal treatment, full rights. That is what adoption meant. We swore on it. And so coming back to the both and at the very beginning I was talking about, it's like, man, this adoption experience in our life has been the both and where we are different from each other. We have to embrace that to have a healthy adoption, to have a healthy family, but yet we are one family uh, together. And, you know, these days we have adopted, we have daughter May and she's incredible if you've ever met me she, you'll never forget her and you know at home when we're sitting around the living room at home I don't think oh, okay we're here we are two white parents and 
and May's here and she's biracial. And, and I don't think about our differences. We are mommy, daddy, and May. We are the Burgess family. So at home, we don't see ourselves as, as different. We're one family, but we're very aware that if we walk out our front door, it is a different story. And we face the discomfort, uh, the, the looks or the comments, or you know, we've, we've had to sit in the uncomfortable confrontation with family to say, hey, that joke's actually not funny. Um, hey, that, that comment was really insensitive. So I say that just like I, I mentioned, this is like yeast working through dough. And that's exactly what this process has been like going through and retracing my story and asking myself, what do I think about race and why do I think about race? And, and even having friends of color say, hey, it's pretty, this is a common thing for people who aren't white to think about these things. So even realizing that even the journey of learning my story when it comes to race and where did I learn these things is part of this healing process. And my friends, I invite you today, if you haven't done this process, which if you haven't, I hadn't really either until the past few weeks, to be honest with you. I hadn't sat down and said, what do I think about race and why? And what are the stories that make up this narrative that I believe? If you haven't done that yet, I really encourage you to do that, to carve out some time and sit with the Lord. There's no shame. He's not going to bring condemnation on you. But it's so powerful when we know our story. And not only do we know the, the parts of freedom and forgiveness where we need redemption and healing, but the parts where the Holy Spirit has dropped in those, those lights all along the path. And it's, it is like seeds that will just sprout up in water. Our family, we're in Lee Summit, like I mentioned. Uh, Lee Summit's not known for its diversity. In fact, we've been in the news a lot um, with the problems we have. But we've chosen to stay. And we've chosen to stay because we want to be the influence that we hope to see, not only in our culture and society, which there is work to be done there, but ultimately for the kingdom, because we want to show people what this looks like. We want to show them a family that can be different and celebrate that we're different because we're one in Christ. And I think that's the message of the verse in Galatians that we read at the very beginning you know, it's like you are all children of God through faith. For you who were baptized into Christ and have clothed yourself with Christ, there is not Jew nor Gentile, slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. This verse isn't asking us to set aside our differences necessarily. So, for example, I am fully female. I'm a mom. Um, my daughter's adopted. She's biracial. And it doesn't mean that those differences or those nuances about us, our histories don't matter. That's not what the verse is saying. The verse is inviting us to say, hey, see yourselves as one first. And then when you can see yourselves as one first, you can fully celebrate difference. You can fully embrace the oneness in Christ and the invitation to Christ's table, which I believe is a multicultural, beautiful tapestry full of racism people. All of it is part of the kingdom of heaven. So what an invitation we have today. This is a pivotal part of my racial journey. And again, I humbly share this with you. It's not been easy to talk about this. These things are really hard. But I ask you and invite you onto this journey with me to hold the both and, and to ask yourself, how am I doing with this? Am I feeling a peace when it comes to 
to embracing difference and being one in Christ? Or is there a wrestle in me? Do I want it to be either or? And I invite you, friends, into this with me because Jesus is here. Like I said, he has invited us on this journey and he will not ever forsake us on the road. Will you pray with me? Dear Jesus, we love you. We thank you for healing. We thank you for oneness. We thank you for reconciliation. Help us to hold our hands out. Help us to be one in Christ, yet embrace our differences. In your name I pray, amen.